good to see you tonight. I missed you last week, but uh, boy, David Shiver knocked it out of the park. I watched online. Usually when I'm not here, I don't watch, uh, but I watched last week. And David, that was unbelievable. So thank you very much. Uh, and uh, we're going to kind of continue to follow in with that right now. Before we do, I'm going to make one quick little announcement because I'm thinking about it right now. Uh, over the last uh, couple of years, we have started these things called D groups. And uh, essentially what they are is small groups of four, three to five really people who are, uh, they're gender specific groups, so male groups and female groups. And they just exist to read the Bible on the same Bible reading plan, get together, discuss them, and then ask some accountability questions uh, and just a way to kind of go to the next level in your spiritual life. In the last couple of years, we've done these a little bit subtly, kind of behind the scenes, really because we were trying to build a good number of leaders. But now we're to the point where we're in Inviting other people, anyone into those groups. If you have any desire to kind of go to the next level spiritually, to be accountable in reading your Bible, have someone a little bit more involved in your lives, uh, we want to know. And we're going to try to hook you up with a D group before January. So out at the Welcome Center, I mean, or I think at the Mission Center out there somewhere. Scott, are you in here? Scott, I don't know if Scott's in here. I think he's with the students tonight. Right out there are uh, these little cards, and these cards are what you need to fill out. Or in the midweek email, uh, that information is there. But just let us know. We'd love to get you connected to a group. All right, open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 1, if you would, tonight. Uh, if you don't have one of these little sheets, it would be helpful for you to have one. If you don't, they are available by the back doors. You can get up uh, and grab one of those right now. But we talked about last week uh, that the reason that we do missions is because of worship. That the goal of missions is worship. And David did an incredible job talking about that. The reason that missions exist is because worship doesn't. If everyone worshiped Jesus, we wouldn't do missions. But we do missions because the heart of missions is the spread of the praise and worship of God to the ends of the earth. This is why we often quote Psalm 67 around here. God be gracious to us and bless us. Cause your face to shine upon us. That your way may be known on the earth. Your salvation among all people. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. The heart of missions is that every person from every nation, tongue, and tribe would praise the Lord and find joy in the Lord. That's what we do with missions. Missions is spreading the praise of the Lord, that everyone would come to know the supremacy of Jesus Christ, that he is better, that he is greater, that in him alone is life. That is our mission. I was in a little meeting on Monday morning. We had invited some area pastors to come together because we had these IMB, these International Mission Board representatives already in town. So we invited some pastors and spent a good number of, uh, a good a few hours with them on Monday morning. And the representative from IMB was talking about the fact that they don't feel that they have the right to create their own vision. That their vision has to be the biblical vision for missions. And they said their vision was Revelation 7-9. And the way they interpret it is this. They say the vision of the IMB is a multitude from every language, people, tribe, and nation knowing and worshiping our Lord Jesus Christ. That's their vision. A multitude from every language, people, tribe, and nation knowing and worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, vision is kind of this compelling future outcome. Vision always looks to the future. What do we ultimately want to see happen? And I have to tell you, I don't know why. I mean, I, I know Revelation 5 and Revelation 7, and uh, I've been a missionary full-time on the mission field, but 
something happened to me on Monday morning when I heard that and I thought, you know, the reality is, is that the mission of every, I mean, the vision of every church should be that. I mean, why do we exist as a church so that every nation, tongue, and tribe would worship Jesus Christ? That's it. Like, that's our ultimate vision. Like, what is the ultimate thing that we want to see? What compels us to move forward? What should compel us to move forward is our desire to build that heavenly choir at the end of time in which all of these nations are gathered and singing praise to the Lord. That's the compelling vision of the IMB, of every believer, and that should be the compelling vision of every church. Church, the reason God has assembled us is with that in mind, that's our future, that's ultimate, that's what we want to see. And the way in which we accomplish that is our mission. If the vision is the future, the mission is right now. How do we move toward that vision? And we would say that at Prince, that's by leading people to trust and follow Jesus. So we, one at a time, lead people to Jesus. They join that choir of worshipers. And we not only do it here, but we know that our responsibility is to go to the difficult places like Nepal and the other places that we're going as uh, my family went with a multitude of, a couple of few people in this room I'm seeing that went and Jan and Fran and others who went to Peru and went to some places where there was no gospel witness and hiked up to some villages and knocked on doors and with a translator told them about Jesus Christ. Why? Because our desire is to lead people from every nation, tongue, and tribe to trust and follow Jesus. So that's the mission. That's the right now, what do we have to be doing? Leading people to Christ. With that ultimate vision of seeing that choir of people from every nation, tongue, and tribe worshiping Jesus Christ. So that's the vision. That's the mission. And the question is, how do we uh, accomplish that mission? How is it that God intends to do that? How is it that God intends to make sure people from every nation, tongue, and tribe hear the gospel and respond to it and join that heavenly Revelation 5, Revelation 7 choir? And the answer is simple. The answer is the church. There is no plan B. God has one plan for accomplishing that mission, and it is the church. We have often said God did not create a mission for his church. He created a church for his mission. Meaning, he didn't create a church and think, I've got to give them something to do or they're just going to have business meetings. He said, I've got a mission and I've got to have a way to get it done. So I'll create a church. That really does matter. Because the issue is, it's not that we've got this gathering, now we've got to give them something to do. It's the opposite of that. He said, I've got something to do, and I need some people to do it, so what will I do? I'll gather a church. We talked about this a few weeks ago, that God has always had a people, and it is people in which he uses to accomplish his mission. And so the truth is, is that God is always from Eden, as you saw last week, had this vision of the nations worshiping him. And right now, God has called the church to be on mission with him until that ultimate day happens. So the point of tonight, I want you to see is this, and it's on here, that the church continues the mission of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. I think if I had it to do over with and I didn't have to turn my notes in as early as I did, I probably would say that better. I think how I would say it is Jesus continues his ministry through the church by the power of the Holy Spirit. I think that's clear. Jesus continues his ministry through the church 
by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's all the same things I said in the other statement. I just think it sounds better. And uh, it really is kind of the way I'm going to divide that up tonight. Three parts of that, that Jesus has a ministry and he's still doing it. He's still working. He is doing that through the church and they are doing that by the power of the Holy Spirit. So what I want to do is through Acts 1 and 2 uh, to kind of flesh that out for us tonight, those three truths that are in that definition. The first one I want us to see is this, is that Jesus is still working. Jesus is still working. We are continuing the ministry of Jesus. It's not just us doing it while Jesus doesn't do anything. Jesus is working Jesus is still moving. He is still active. He is still healing. He is still saving. Jesus is still working. Look at what it says in Acts 1 in those first three verses. Luke says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now look at that first verse. He's talking about the first book that he wrote, which is the Gospel of Luke. Uh, Luke wrote two volumes, Luke and Acts maybe Hebrews, and in the first volume, he says right here, he dealt with everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he had given commands and then he ascended. But look at what it says there. The first book, it's what Jesus began to do and teach, meaning Jesus is still doing and still teaching. Jesus is not finished now. It's not that after he ascended, he stopped working. The book of Luke was about what Jesus began to do. The book of Acts is what Jesus is still doing. And so it is even now in the church, this is about what Jesus continues to do. If that wasn't the case, he could have said that in a different way. But he said, what Jesus did on earth is what he began to do. Now ascended, seated at the right hand of the Father. He is still working and moving. And the book of Acts is what Jesus is still doing. The church right now today is what Jesus still does. And this is the significance of talking about the body of Christ That God has assembled a body. We'll talk about that more in our next point. But the simple idea that we exist, not just to represent Jesus in his work, but to be doing the work of Jesus. It is Jesus who is doing work through his body. Jesus is still working. So I don't know what you think about, about Jesus right now. If you just think he's just sitting there and just waiting for the father to say it's time to go back and and get your children. Or if he's just kind of trying to buy time until the next thing that he does, that he did his first thing. And then he's going to return, but now he's just waiting or maybe just interceding for us. Jesus is still working. He's still active. What he began to do, he continues to do. Now, one of the interesting things is that the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 4 gives us a link between what Jesus began to do and what Jesus continues to do through his church. And that link is the ascension of Jesus Christ. Because in Ephesians 4, Paul says this. He says, when Christ ascended, he gave gifts to men. And now those gifts are used in the church to equip 
the believers, the body of Christ for the work of ministry. So it kind of has this vision that Jesus ascended and as he ascends, he's giving out gifts. He's just dispersing gifts and all of us get some of them, one or two of them. We just get some gifts and then all of those gifts are being used in the church. And when all of those gifts are used, it is Jesus working through the means of his church. But the ascension seems to be a key there. Now, the reason I find that interesting is because Acts chapter one talks about the significance of the ascension. So the first thing I want you to see is that Jesus is still working. The second thing I want you to see that Jesus is working through his church. Let's continue to read there, starting in verse six. When they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Meaning we want the end to come right now. We want your kingdom established on earth. He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. When he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. No one gives us more information about the ascension than Luke. Luke gives us more than any gospel writer in Luke 24 And Luke gives us more information of anybody in the New Testament when he gives us this specific information in Acts chapter one. Now the Paul, the apostle Paul talks a good bit about the theological implications of the ascension, but for some reason, Luke felt that the ascension was important enough to end his first book with it and start his second book with it. And I don't know why it is, but when we talk about the ministry of Jesus, his incarnation gets a lot of attention, his birth. Uh, his death gets a lot of attention. His burial gets a lot of attention. His resurrection gets a lot of attention. But when's the last time you heard a good sermon on the ascension of Jesus Christ? It'd be interesting just to think about if we went around the room and said, what is the significance of the ascension of Jesus Christ? Or we talk about, uh, I think I mentioned this in my prayer a minute ago, the coronation of Jesus, meaning we would talk about that Jesus ascended and then he, when he was seated, that was like his coronation. He was given all rule and power and authority, as he says in Matthew 28. But Luke thought the ascension was important. He talks about it after Jesus gives his command and brings it back here. Now, I want to do something for us for just a moment. I want to give you, and you're not going to be able to write these down because I'm going to say them kind of fast. I know that's not like me, but I'm going to say them fast. I'm going to give you 10 reasons why the ascension matters so much for the church right now on mission because Luke believed it was extremely important. Right here, when we're getting the Great Commission again in Acts 1.8, we get all this information about the ascension. Why does it matter? Let me give you a few reasons. First of all, it signifies the completion of the saving work of Christ, the the redemption of Christ that Jesus says in John 17, Father, I have finished the work that you have given me. When Jesus on the cross said, it is finished, he didn't mean he was done working. He meant that that saving work, his redeeming work, his ransoming work on the cross, the work of salvation, propitiation, he had accomplished that work on the cross. So it does signify that there is a part of his ministry that's finished. He completed that work. 
The second thing is it signifies the end of the human limitations of Christ, where he was limited while on earth, now all authority given to him, seated at the right hand of the Father, those human limitations are removed. It signifies the authoritative rule of Christ. He is now ruling and reigning over all things. Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. The way we would say it is this, is Jesus is now, because of his resurrection, the mediator of all of God's authority. The Father has said, okay, all the authority in heaven and earth, it's yours. And we know that through his ascension and the fact that he is seated at the right hand of the Father. Fourth, it signifies the sending of his Holy Spirit. That's why these two are connected in Acts 1. In John 14, Jesus says this, if I don't go, the Spirit can't come. So Jesus ascends and the Spirit comes down. Jesus said that's exactly how it was going to happen. It also signifies the preparation of our heavenly home. John 16, 7, he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. It also signifies the significance of his church in completing his work. Because Jesus still has work to do, but he's seated at the right hand of the Father. So if Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, but he's still working, how is he working? The answer is through the church, through his body. All kinds of metaphors for the church. The temple, the church is the place for the presence of God. The bride, Jesus is passionately in love with his church. The body, we exist as those who have been gifted and gathered to continue to be the means by which Christ does his work. We are the body, the very body of Christ on earth. And his ascension signifies that he's gone, but he's still working through the church. It signifies his power, and I would say our power and authority over the devil. That's Ephesians 1. He says, because he is ascended, he has rule and power and authority and dominion over every name that is named. And listen to this. This is important. We often talk about our union with Christ. We say we were crucified with Christ. We were buried with Christ. We were raised with Christ. Do you know in Ephesians 1, Paul says we have been ascended with Christ? The reason we have any power in spiritual warfare is because we are united with Christ in his ascension. This is the only way we can stand against demonic forces is because we stand as those who in Christ have power and authority over all things. That's significant for the church. It signifies the start of Christ's high priestly work. That's Hebrews 4. I read that this morning in my devotions, that Christ is there interceding for us, helping us in our time of need, giving us all the strength that we need as we continue his mission. It points forward to his imminent return, that he is there and one day he will return. And finally, it points to our authority as his body. It gives us confidence that we too can advance the kingdom of Christ as all the resources of heaven, all the authority of heaven, all the power of heaven is given to us. As Jesus, seated there, has given all that to us so we continue his work. The way I want you to think about it is this. The ascension is like a little visible picture of the Great Commission. Here's Jesus, Matthew 28. All authority has been given to me. How do we know that? Because he's ascended, he's seated at the place of authority. Now you... As he's ascended, you go. With his authority, with his power, you go out and continue his work until he comes. That's why the ascension matters so much. 
It gives clarity to the church and our mission. He's ascended. Descended upon us, we'll talk about it in a minute, is his power and his mission and his work continues through the ministry of the church. As Jesus, Ephesians 4, ascended, he left one thing. He left the church. And he called it his body that the church might be the means by which he continues to do his work. This is why when you read the book of Acts, what is it that the apostles are doing? They're planting churches. They're planting churches. And you know what they do after they plant them? They go back and strengthen them. And then you know what they do after that? They write letters to them. And then they get reports that they're dysfunctional, and they go back again. And then they write more letters. And then Paul goes and plants more churches, and Barnabas goes back and encourages them again. All they did in the book of Acts is churches. Why? Because that's the way in which Christ continues his work. They didn't do anything else but churches. This is it. The whole New Testament's letters to churches. Because central to everything that Christ wants to accomplish is the local church. Listen, I, I don't know, I don't know why you're here. I, I don't know why you have joined a church or if you've joined a church. You just you just gotta know this. If you're not right in the middle of a gospel preaching, Bible believing church that is on mission with God, then you're not involved with what God is doing. Because that's what God's doing. That's what God's doing. Everything God is doing is through the church. There's no other way. There's no other place. So it is Jesus ascends. He leaves his disciples. Boom. Churches. Christ continues his work through the ministry of the church. And finally, he does it by the power of of the Holy Spirit. So, what is the link between, so think about this, the ascended Christ, here he is, saying to a visible earthly church, go do what I do. What is the link between the ascended Christ and the church on earth? The link is the Holy Spirit. So this is why all of these are brought together. He says, so, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes up on you and be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And he says in verses 4 and 5, he goes, whatever you do, don't leave until you get the power of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the only way in which the church on earth gets the power from heaven is because of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus ascends, the Spirit comes down, and the way in which we continue the work of Jesus is the fact that we have the same Spirit that Jesus had. Jesus on earth accomplished his work as a man filled with the Holy Spirit of God. I am absolutely convinced, and I could talk about this for a long time, I'm absolutely convinced that anything Jesus did, the church could continue to do if we were as filled with much of the Spirit as Jesus was. Because the secret of Jesus' ministry was that he was filled up to the fullness of the Holy Spirit, no sin to interrupt the Holy Spirit, never a moment of grieving the Holy Spirit. If we were filled up to that much of the Holy Spirit, this is Ephesians 3, 19 through 21, if we were filled up with that much of the Spirit, we would be doing those same things. Because the way in which the church continues the ministry of Jesus is by the power of his Holy Spirit. You will receive power, that power is so that we might continue the work that he is doing. Now look what it says in Acts 2, just real quickly. Look over at Acts 2. It says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. It filled the entire house where they were sitting. 
and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. I would love if we had the time to go through chapter 2. I'm going to look at this a little bit more uh, the week after Thanksgiving. But the one thing I want you to see here is these three representations of the Spirit. There's wind and there's fire and tongues. The idea of wind is really from the book of Ezekiel. It's a reference to the very life of God being breathed into a person. You see this in Ezekiel 37 with the valley of dry bones. How are these bones going to live? Well, the very life of God goes into them. So the Spirit is bringing in us the life of Jesus, the passions of Jesus, the power of Jesus, the affection of Jesus, the joy, the contagious joy of Jesus. How do we get all of that Jesus in us? The Spirit. The Spirit puts all of that Jesus in us. If we have any desire to be Christ-like, then it's the Spirit. The Spirit's how we get all the Jesus in us. So the very wind of God is there. It talks about the fire of God, which has always been representative of the presence of God. Uh, when Moses went to the burning bush, it was a representation of the presence of God that was there. Take off your shoes. This is holy ground. When Elijah called God to come down from heaven, the fire of God fell and consumed the offering. It's always the presence of God. And then the tongues, which are talked about, is a representation that the Spirit is empowering us to speak, to get the gospel out to all nations. That the reason the Spirit has come is to empower us with courage. Proverbs 28.1 says the wicked flee when no one is pursuing. But the righteous are as bold as a lion. You say, where do I get that boldness to share the gospel? We get it through the power of the Holy Spirit. When we're filled with the Spirit of God, then we have courage. And we speak. And so the gift that he's talking about here, this representation of tongues and fire and wind, is that the very God is coming, the very presence of God is coming into you to light a fire of passion for his presence so that you might speak the truth of his word. And this is, this is what we do, church. God's plan for us to get to that ultimate thing with all nations in worshiping him, what we do now to get there is that we as a church, individuals filled with his spirit, continuing the same ministry that he continued. You know, I think it's interesting when you get to Matthew 28, I think one of the things that's fascinated me a lot over the just years of my ministry is how many different sermons I've heard on the Great Commission and how much debate there is about the Great Commission and is the emphasis on go or is the emphasis on make disciples or what does it even mean to make a disciple and what does it mean to we go? I mean, some people say we just make disciples as we go. So wherever we happen to go, we make disciples. Are we supposed to go specifically? And then when we go, we make disciples. I mean, there's, it's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Sometimes I, I think we really need to look at that and realize that what Jesus is saying is, hey, guys, here's the deal. I need you to keep doing what you just watched me do for three years. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's really it, isn't it? Like, just go do what I did. So teach people and lead them to Christ and then teach them and train them and, and then send them out, just like he did in Luke 9 and Luke 11, way before they were ready. Just send them out, give them the Spirit, and just send them out. Just go keep doing what I've been doing. I think Jesus would be baffled at how complicated we've made this whole thing. 
Jesus just looks at disciples and says, go make disciples. They understood that. You say, well, how do we, how do we just continue to do that? Well, the answer is this, is that God has assembled a gifted church and gave them the Holy Spirit. And as you get filled with the Holy Spirit, and by the way, that's, that's an individual responsibility. You gotta, you gotta be filled with the Spirit. You gotta fight sin. You gotta seek to be pure and holy before the Lord. You gotta get filled with the Spirit. And as you're filled with the Spirit, you discern your gifts. You then take those gifts and you use them in the context of the church because the only way we can be the body of Christ is if you use your gift and your gift and your gift and your gift and your money and your money and your money and resources and your time and your time. And we put it all together and all together we become the body of Christ filled with the Spirit. We just continue the work of Christ. It's really pretty simple. It just takes every one of us being all in. I loved uh, what Todd Unsicker said on uh, Sunday morning. There was a lot of quotable lines in his sermon. I wrote, there's a lot of good zingers in there. But you know, when he talked about all of you had breakfast this morning, you had bacon and eggs and the chicken and the pig both participated in your breakfast. Remember that? He said the uh, chicken gave a little something, but the pig went all in. That was a great line. That was, I called my brother, who's a professor of preaching the next day. And I said, you're going to want to use this one. But it really is, it really is true. It's the laying down of our lives as a living sacrifice saying, Lord, if this church is going to be what it's going to be, it's going to demand my, uh, me doing my part. And that is me surrendering my life to whatever it is you have me to do. And then being filled with the spirit and joining with the church to go do the work of Jesus. Let me pray for us. And then uh, I've got eight minutes for questions. And there are some here. Father, give us uh, continued uh, vision. I just, I'm thankful that you, I really feel like something happened to me just on Monday morning when you renewed my vision uh, for just every nation, tongue, and tribe worshiping you. Uh, that's, that's fresh in me. And that's because of you. And I thank you for that. And I pray that it would be real and fresh in all of us, that really the driving grand picture for all of our lives would be just wanting to add to that massive choir, that there would be people in that choir that Prince led to Christ. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.